we are um, at the end of this season thinking about our, our three kings of the United Kingdom. Uh, Dan Frost is on vacation today, so um, don't tell him I said this, but he did some excellent preaching last week on the um, story of Solomon and his many wives, and he reminded us um, how easy it is to take just a little compromise, right? Just a little step away from God and another and another and another. And how uh, at the end of that journey, um, we begin to turn people into possessions. Uh, and that story of Solomon is a story that's going to play into the story of King Rehoboam today. Uh, and, and the sins of Solomon are repeated in the son of Solomon. Uh, I, I want to try to answer um, two questions today, and I, and I want to try to get at the core of this season of the story of God. So, uh, the season of the story of God is this brief moment where all of Israel is united, and it's important for us to remember that between Judges and Jesus, there's about 14 or 1,500 years and in that entire time, there's only about this 100-plus year reign of these three kings where Israel is united. The rest of the time, the other 1,400 years, they are divided into tribes and into multiple nations or they're conquered by other kingdoms. There's just this one moment where they are one people together under God. So I want to think about why. What's the point of this, uh, this moment in the story of Israel? And I want to try to answer two questions. Um, and those questions are, what kind of leader do you want to follow? And what kind of leader do you want to be? What kind of leader do you want to follow? What kind of leader do you want to be? Uh, I, I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to go to the Global Leadership Summit, which is an event put on by Willow Creek Church that does excellent leadership training with these huge big-name speakers one of the folks I heard there um, was a, a guy I was not familiar with. His name was Richard Montanez, and he worked with Frito-Lay. Um, Richard Montanez said that there are two kinds of leadership. He says that there is the leadership of the Pharaoh and the leadership of the Deliverer. I really like this a lot. The leadership of the Pharaoh, he says, is all about the leader. Right? It's, it's, I want the attention and I want the glory and I want the recognition. He says, um, the Pharaoh takes people captive for his own agenda. And the leadership of the deliverer sets people free. Right? It, it, it focuses power and attention and, um, it, away from themselves as a leader and to those they are serving. And then he tried to give us an example of, of what this looks like. So Richard has a really interesting story. He was a first gener uh, sorry, second generation Hispanic American immigrant, and he grew up and you know, le left school at a young age and ended up as a janitor working in a Frito-Lay plant in San Bernardino, California. And at some point while he was working at the Frito-Lay plant, there uh, was a season where Frito-Lay was really kind of struggling financially. And they had some major competition in the world. And so the CEO recorded, this is like, I think, probably on VHS tape, so it was a while ago. The CEO recorded an, uh, a conversation where um, he asked all of the plants all around the world to stop working and to bring all their workers together and to watch this video. And in the video, the CEO basically said, hey, we're having a tough time. And it's not going to be enough for you to just do what you're already doing well. I need all of you to 
to own this company with me. In fact, I need all of you to, to imagine yourself as a CEO, right? Imagine you're running this company. I need your ideas. I need your insight. I need your creativity if we're going to get through this season. So I, probably a lot of people heard that speech and thought it was a great way to get off of 20 minutes of work, um, but Richard took it to heart. Uh, and so he started thinking, what does it mean for me to think like a CEO? And so uh, he was a janitor and then later he was a machinist in the factory. But he said, hey, I would love to go with some of our salespeople and see what they do when they're out and about. And so he went to the sales department and he said, hey, I don't want to get paid. I'll work on my vacation hours and my weekends. But when you go off on a sales trip, can I come with you? I'll carry your bag. I'll do whatever you need. I just want to observe what you do. They said, Sure, that's, that's fine. So, so he started doing these sales trips. And as he did, he, he began thinking more and more about the products they were selling and his own Hispanic heritage. And he said, boy, I really love spicy food. And there's really nothing real um, spicy in our lineup. And what if Frito-Lay offered something that was like flaming hot, right? Like really spicy and good. And so on his own, in his off hours, he and his wife started designing uh, a new flavor of, of snacks. And when he thought he had it nailed, he decided it was time to share it with people. And so he called the CEO of Frito-Lay. Now, pause for a minute. You can't just call the CEO of Frito-Lay, okay? It's kind of a big company. So the CEO of Frito-Lay ordinarily talks to the presidents of the national branches, right? So if you're the president of the United States Frito-Lay, you might call the CEO. Uh, maybe if you're a vice president, you might get on the line. I don't know how he did it, but somehow he made it all the way to the executive secretary of the CEO of Frito-Lay. And, and she gets him on the phone and he says, hi, I'm Richard Montanez and I, I want to speak to the CEO. And she says, you know, Richard, I, I don't know your name. I'm so embarrassed. Are you a president of a nation, of a branch I'm not aware of? No, 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 no. I work in San Bernardino, California, the factory there. Oh, well, you're not the U.S. president. Are you like a vice president for California? No, no, no. I work in the factory. Are you telling me a plant manager is calling the CEO? No, no, I'm not the plant manager. I work in the factory. So for some reason, this executive secretary puts him through. Um, maybe um, she has a little bit of the leadership of the deliverer uh, and sees something in him. She puts him through to the CEO. They talk for 15 to 20 minutes, which is a long time for the CEO. At the end of this conversation, he says, Richard, I love your idea. I'll be there in two weeks. So now all, I, can I, I don't know if I can say all hell breaks loose in the church. I shouldn't say that. All heck breaks loose. And um, the president of the United States finds out that the CEO is coming, his boss, so uh, the president of Frito-Lay of the United States, finds out his boss is coming, so he calls the vice president for California, who calls the plant manager, who calls the floor manager, who pulls Richard in and says, what is going on? Uh, eventually, the CEO actually comes. Richard uh, and his wife plan this whole complicated presentation. Uh, they pull it off, and there is everybody in the room, everybody in the world thinking this is the most insane thing that ever happened. Um, but that CEO loved it and went with it. And today, the, the products that Richard started are a multi-billion dollar business for Frito-Lay. Right? So it worked out. Uh, and as he tells his story, he points out the people in it who had the leadership of the deliverer for him, right? The CEO who multiple times said, most people might think you don't deserve my time, um, but I see something in you. 
uh, the executive secretary that put his phone call through, his wife who helped him in unbelievable ways throughout this whole process from planning the presentation to planning the product. And he says, this is the leadership that Christ calls us to, the leadership of the deliverer, not the leadership of the Pharaoh. Now come back to Rehoboam for a minute because this is precisely the question that is before him, is it not? What kind of leader will you be? Your father was oppressive. Your father had high rates of taxation and forced labor, meaning, you know, this side of the room you're going to be working in the fields today for me, and this side of the room you're going to be working in the, uh, on, on the temple, and then tomorrow you can switch, right? And, and in the midst of all of this, the people just say, hey, we're not asking for no taxes. We're not asking for no forced labor. Could you just rein it in a little bit? And, and he gets two options, right? The elders say, if you are their servant, then they will always be your servants. And the young men say something else. Um, by the way, um, Rehoboam is unique in this situation, not because he has to make this choice, but because of the way he makes the choice. Saul and David and Solomon, all three of them, start out trying to be servants. This is part of their story, right? It's the good part of their story. Saul, we're going to sing in a minute, briefly good, but sacrifice brings. Saul starts out a good king. David starts out a king after God's own heart. Solomon starts out and he asks God for wisdom so he can be a good leader. Every one of them starts out trying to be a servant and every one of them ends up trying to be a pharaoh. Rehoboam just goes with the pharaoh from the beginning. Uh, and, and I think this distinction uh, of these two kinds of leaders is also what makes Jesus unique. Now, see, see, Jesus, unlike Saul and David and Solomon, he starts out a servant and he stays that way forever. And, and I mean forever. At the end uh, of time, we have this vision of Christ in the throne in heaven and they say, the Lion of Judah has conquered. And who shows up? A slaughtered lamb. He's a slaughtered lamb. Even, even in heaven, as, as he's been given glory and honor and power and majesty, Jesus is still up there with the leadership of a deliverer, interceding for us. By the way, this is the good news of the gospel, right? That Jesus never stops working for you. He never stops delivering you. There's never a point in your life where Jesus gives up on you and says, well, I tried and it didn't work out. But he keeps working salvation and deliverance into your life. He's always the lamb and never just the lion. It's the best news of our faith and also, ironically, the most controversial. Because a lot of people don't like leaders like that. I mean, the, the, the Jewish people of Jesus' day didn't like a leader like that. They wanted a lion. They wanted a pharaoh. They wanted someone who could rise up and throw off the Romans. Now, the Romans didn't believe that Jesus was that kind of leader. Uh, they, they were certain it was only a matter of time till he became a pharaoh too. Even, uh, I think a lot of people think that Judas betrays Jesus to like push him down the road. Come on, Jesus. Let's get this thing going. Enough of this, this lamb stuff. We need more of that lion. As I think about the leaders that are famous in our world today, it seems like there's a lot of pharaohs, not a lot of deliverers. We, when we look at our politicians, we don't usually look for people that are great at compromising, right? We look for politicians who will fight at every possible opportunity. 
the, the leaders in business that make it on the cover of Time magazine aren't usually the humble servant leaders. They're the, the Elon Musks, right? Brilliant, but definitely pharaohs. Even the church leaders that become famous in our world usually aren't the, you know, the Sid Boldens, uh, the humble leaders. They're, they're the Mark Driscolls and the Bill Hybels who build these huge churches and have ultimate control over them. And, and so I think this is a real question for us this morning. The first and maybe the most important question, are you willing to, ser- to follow a servant king? Are you willing to follow a king like Jesus? Are you willing to follow a king who calls um, his followers to emulate him? Because who you're willing to follow, the kind of leader you're willing to follow, will determine the kind of leader that you're going to become. If you're going to follow the lion, you're going to be like the lion. If you're going to follow the lamb, well, it means something else entirely. So, uh, I think the first question for us this morning, especially as we look back on this season of salvation history, is what kind of leader do we really want? Does Israel want? Does the church want? Do I want in my life? Because what kind of leader I follow determines what kind of leader I will be. Uh, But the second question is, well, what kind of leader will I be? How how do I become? Okay, so yeah, Jim, I I really think Jesus is the one. How do I become a a leader like Jesus? What, What does that look like? Uh, and then I got to pause for a minute because some people are going to say, well, this is interesting, but I, I'm not really a leader, Jim. Like, that's not my thing. Um, so, I would say, as I've said to you a number of times, leadership is influence. Right? Leadership is influence. Everybody has influence. Uh, that influence might be with your friends or with your family. That influence might be here in the church. That influence might be on your soccer team or with your bridge club or with your coworkers at work. But everybody has influence. Everybody has a place where their voice carries weight. And wherever that is, that's your place of leadership. You probably have several. And in those moments... Um, you have the option to lead like a pharaoh or lead like a deliverer. Uh, When you're tipping a waiter, when you're talking to a sales clerk, right, in all of these little ordinary moments of your life, what kind of leadership will you exude? So if we want to lead like Jesus, right, if we want to lead like the deliverer, if we don't want to go down the road of Rehoboam, um, what what do we do? Uh, Two really simple, I think, helpful tips that come out of this text, but I think are also uh, living in the lives of all three of these kings that help us to to lead like Jesus. The the first is you have to decide to own what is yours. You have to decide to own what is yours. There's an interesting moment in our passage. I don't know if you you picked up on it. We didn't read the, the background of this in our and our journey through the kings. There's a moment where we're told that this was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. The history there isn't critical for us to understand at the moment. What is critical to understand is that there is more going on in this story than just Rehoboam's choices. Right? God is working in the background, fulfilling promises he's made in the past. And I think it would be easy for Rehoboam to simply say, boy, you know what? doesn't matter what I do. God's already decided. It's out of my hands. Doesn't, doesn't matter if I make a good choice or a bad choice. It's all on God for this one. And I think we find ourselves in situations like that all the time. 
right? We say, well, it doesn't matter what I do because I tried to be nice to that person and they will not be nice to me and I'm tired of trying and it's on them now. It doesn't matter what I do. This problem is too big for me to solve, so I'm not even going to get involved in it. I'm not going to even um, learn more about it. It's just beyond me. It's, I can't handle that. Well, if God wanted that to happen, He would have made it happen. He didn't make it happen, so I'm not going to get involved with it myself. And we, and we decide not to own things that we're supposed to own. See, Rehoboam is the king. Uh, whatever his father might have done, whatever groundwork of sin his father laid, he has the opportunity to make a righteous choice. He has the opportunity to be a leader uh, like God is calling him to be. But he chooses to go a different way, and then he's got to own that. You've got to decide what's yours to own. Oh, sometimes we do this in the other extreme. Sometimes we try to own everything. Right? You know folks like this? I'm just going to fix the whole world. I'm a little bit, I know some people like this. I'm just going to fix the whole world. You got a problem? I'll be right there. I'll fix it. You know, and boy, I think about the challenge of being the son of God living on earth in human form when you actually can fix everything, right? Uh, Most of us have come at some point to a recognition that we can't actually solve everyone's problems, but Jesus could, right? Like Jesus could actually solve every problem. And can you imagine what would have happened if Jesus had said, boy, I'm going to be consumed by everybody's problems. I'm going to own everyone's problem and I'm going to go and I'm going to heal every single person on earth who's got a sickness or an illness or a... Jesus doesn't do that. He cares about people. He serves those who come in his path, but he owns his mission, right? Which is to deliver people from sin and from death. So critical for us if we want to be leaders like Jesus is we have to decide to own what is ours. Who are you called to deliver? Being a servant leader doesn't mean you're at the mercy of your circumstances or of other people's problems. It means you own what's yours and you act where God's called and placed you to act. Second really simple thing um, is you have to decide to whom you will listen. This is Rehoboam's problem, right? I mean, part of his problem is he listens to those, those young men that he grew up with. Uh, and it's so easy for us just to listen to folks who sound like us. In fact, we're trained to do this. Uh, I, I have a, a comedian on uh, the internet named Ryan George that I listen to a lot, um, who's quite funny except for that he unfortunately uses the Lord's name in vain, not in this clip. Uh, and Ryan has um, a, a series of videos where he will play multiple characters, often explaining to someone something that we all know exists in a really basic way. So this is a video of, of Ryan talking about social media and particularly social media algorithms, how your Facebook or your Twitter feed or whatever figures out what stories to give you each day. Okay, and I want to play that video that story. Okay, now here's a story about some students that found a way to fight forest fires faster. Oh, nice. That sounds, you know, that sounds like an important development. And here's a story about some students that went around starting forest fires on purpose. What? Why would they do that? Uh, Okay, more interest in the second one I see. See, already a pattern emerging. That's great. Well, I mean, obviously the second one made me angry, so that's a bigger reaction. Engagement is engagement to the algorithm. You're obviously very interested here. Okay. So then the algorithm would probably show 
show you, well, first of all, it'd show you an ad for an addictive game you play on a telephone. What was that? Yeah, we get a lot of money to slip those in there. Don't worry about that. All right. Next up, we got a story about a bunch of criminals running around the streets causing problems, and another story about a really bad guy getting out of prison early. Oh, okay, those both seem pretty negative. Can I hear more puppy stories, maybe? No, 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 you had a much bigger reaction to the other stuff, so why would the algorithm keep showing you puppy stuff? I mean, oh, more about that ear-cutting attack. Looks like it was done by somebody who doesn't share your beliefs. Huh. Would you look at that? Yeah, figures. Yeah, they're different from you and they did some bad stuff. That feels good to know, doesn't it? It does make me feel a little good, because I know that people like me can't be the bad guys, you know? Yeah, and look at this. It turns out all that other bad stuff I mentioned, that was done by people different from you, too. Is that true? It certainly sounds that way, doesn't it? So it is. I didn't say that. I just presented it in the same way I present everything, so it's hard to tell fact from fiction. Oh, okay. I see what's going on here. All right. You do? I do. Yeah, I get it. People with different views from me are the root of all evil. That could be the conclusion that someone comes to if it drives engagement ad for something that aligns with the beliefs you've shown. Huh. And so, yeah, that's about it. I'd say the algorithm has you engaged now. You're hooked. How do you feel? I feel angry and scared and like my thoughts are the only right ones. Yeah, well, you know, maybe it would help to engage with other like-minded individuals that have been exclusively exposed to the same content as you. You know, that does sound good. I got a lot of pent-up frustration now. I bet, I bet. So why don't you head over and talk to my colleague. He could take it from here. Hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, okay, I'll head over there. That sounds great. Yeah, you know, it gets pretty radical over here. Come on over. All right, see ya. Bye-bye now. Okay, uh, kind of humorous, kind of scary, right? Pretty accurate. Uh, whether it's social media or whether it's other places, we tend to gravitate to folks who think like us and talk like us and look like us and agree with us. It's comfortable. But part of the work of being a delivering leader is to find people who call us to not make much of ourselves, but to make much of Christ and others at our own expense. Um, so who are the elders in your life? Not necessarily people who are elder in age, but who are those persons in your life that call you to look away from yourself and your self-interest and to serve others and to elevate the name of Christ in your life? And how do you make sure their voices can penetrate the echo chamber of the way that we do life now so that you can hear and be called into the work of deliverance um, even when it's risky, even when it's painful, even when it requires you to be the lamb and not the lion. So, I'm thinking about this season of the kings. Uh, and the United Kingdom, and why it matters. And, and, and I imagine um, it actually connects to me to something I heard a, a pastor named Albert Tate say not too long ago. Uh, I imagine that for the Israelites, they were in a situation that's not unsimilar to our situation now, where they had just come out of this unbelievably difficult season, right? The, the season of the judges for them, for us, kind of slowly coming out of the season of the pandemic. And, and they looked back on that season and they said, hey, we passed the test, right? We made it through it and now finally we get to be the people we want to be and do what we want to do because the test is over, we passed. We got kings now. Right? And Albert Tate says, what if we look back at those seasons of our lives, um, like that season uh, for the Israelites, like the season for us that we are coming out of, and we said, maybe that wasn't the test. Maybe that was the lesson. Maybe this is the test. 
Maybe the test is, what do we do now after we've experienced that? Who do we become and how do we change and how do we look more like Jesus in this season? Maybe that was the lesson and this is the test. And if that's the case, then I think it's critical that we know what kind of leader we want to follow and what kind of leaders we want to be. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, thank you for uh, the witness and the stories of the kings of Israel who brought your kingdom together, who were um, both pharaohs and deliverers at times. Thank you so much more for the story of Jesus, who is a deliverer forever. And thank you that he calls us into that work. We pray, Lord, that you would equip us by your Spirit uh, to be deliverers like Christ, that we would own what's ours to own and surround ourselves with voices that call us to selfless service. And we pray, Lord, that in so doing, we might pass this test. We might emerge as uh, a united family pointing to an extraordinary God. All this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.